You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from the ScoreZag Score podcast and taking over here at Locked On. First of all, I want to thank all of you for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you are a new listener to the show, new to my content, or coming over from my previous show, this is just a reminder to please follow and subscribe to this podcast wherever you already get podcasts, and to look out for an upcoming YouTube channel, which is going to start very soon. For those of you who are more visual or who just want to see what kind of setup I have in my quote-unquote podcast studio. All right, with almost exactly two weeks until Gonzaga's exhibition opener against Eastern Oregon, today is yet another Mailbag Monday episode, and we're going to answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. This is just a reminder for most of you, but for any of you who are new listeners, if you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there are three ways to do so. You can tweet at me at ScoreZagScore whenever you are thinking of a question, and I will write it up and get it into the show. It helps if you tag it Mailbag Monday, but either way, I'm either going to respond to you on Twitter or I'll get it into a Mailbag Monday episode. I also reach out on Twitter Sunday morning soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet and I will get that into the show. I also take questions on Facebook and Instagram, which you can follow at ScoreZagScore. If you are not already following them, you can also email me. So I guess there are four ways to get back to me for Mailbag Monday. You can email me at andypatton 13 at gmail.com. If you have a longer question you'd like to flesh out or you have multiple questions you want to ask them all at once, shoot me an email. Let me know it's from Locked On for Mailbag Monday and I will get it into the show. All right, let's get right into it. This first question comes from Andy Winner at winner underscore MLS on Twitter who asks, what percentage of Zag's offensive possessions will be a pick and roll with Nemhard and Timmy? Yeah, so I think we're at that point in the offseason where people are starting to ask about plays. How is this going to work? And it's a really legitimate question. This is an incredibly deep team, an incredibly talented team, and a team with players that that don't fit in traditional ways in a lot, you know, in, in Gonzaga's past. Obviously, Chet Holmgren is such a unique beast, a unique, a unique animal, somebody that I, I don't think Mark Fuse never, he's never had a player like this. I don't think, I know for a fact that he's never had a guy like this. But beyond that, you have Drew Timmy, who's obviously in his third year, so we have a better sense of how he's going to be utilized. Andrew Nempard's in his second year. But with Julian Strother, he's a new guy. Rasir Bolton's a new player. They've had guys kind of like him in the past, but he's pretty unique in his own right. Hunter Salas is a freak athletically. Like There's a lot of pieces that it's going to be really fun to see how Mark Few fits them all together. And I don't think that we know everything that is going to happen. We have really good guesses. Mark Few's been around for a really long time, and there's so many smart Gonzaga fans and analysts and college basketball analysts who are talking about how some of these pieces may fit together. But ultimately, I think there are some things that we're not even thinking of, some things that this team is capable of doing that aren't even on our radar, which is what I'm so excited to see. We're not going to see it in the exhibitions, probably. So it's maybe not till Texas, maybe not till even after that when we get that stretch in in Vegas in November when we get UCLA and Central Michigan and Duke, we might see some some unique things there that we've never seen from Gonzaga coach teams in the past, and I'm thrilled to see what that looks like. Regarding this question, Nemhart, Andrew Nemhart is one of the best pick-and-roll point guards in the NCAA. 
it's it almost goes overshadowed. It went overshadowed with him a little bit last year because they had Jalen Suggs and they had Joel Iyayi and Nembhard was a guy who was <laughs> we didn't know he was going to be eligible and going to be participating in the team until right before the season started. He spent the first half of the year coming off the bench. So he just it almost seemed like the skills that we saw from him were were never really showcased in a major way because he wasn't the starting point guard. He was even when he was starting, he wasn't the point guard. That was Jalen Suggs's role. But Nemhart is really good in the pick and roll. He was good at it in Florida. He was really good at it last year. One of the best in the country. And I don't think there's a lot of better pick and roll finishers than Drew Timmy. Certainly his pick and pop game needs some work. We talked about that in the player preview with him and that he's not a big time shooter away from the rim. He hasn't developed, not only does he not, has he not developed a three point shot that we've seen at the collegiate level, but he hasn't even really developed a mid range shot. So that limits him a little bit in the pick and roll where you can't do those kind of pick and pops where you step out to the side and force the defender to either go with Nemhart or step out on you, which allows Nemhart more room to drive to the paint. I think he's capable of doing that for the record, and I think we will see more of that this year. We just haven't really seen it yet. But Timmy's ability to set a screen, roll to the basket, get the ball in his footwork, once he gets the ball while he's moving towards the basket, is so elite. Once that happens, if if, if Nemhard gets him the ball and he's moving towards the basket, there is almost no way it doesn't result in points. It's going to result in him getting fouled a lot because he's quicker than the opposing big man. He's stronger than the opposing big man 95% of the time. So that guy is going, if he's rotating over late or if he's behind him, the only way he's going to stop him from getting a really easy two points is to foul him. And frankly, there's going to be situations where he fouls him and he still gets an easy two points because the guy is that good. I think this is going to be a big part of Gonzaga's offense to finally actually answer your question. I don't know about full-on percentages. I'd have to look at some of the other stuff, maybe get a, a sense of what Mark Few wants to do, which we just we don't we haven't heard yet. Obviously, they have so many other weapons with Chet, with Julian, with Bolton, with Hickman, like everybody. I could name the entire roster in this situation. But I do think that a lot of the offense is going to be structured around trying to get Drew Timmy the ball in situations where it's easy for him to score. Nemhard's the best passer on the team. Drew Timmy's the best scorer on the team. Nemhard's really good in pick and roll. So it makes a lot of sense for this to be what they run. I think we're going to see a ton of these two-man sets. I think we're going to see it with Nemhard and Chet. I think we're going to see it with Hickman and Timmy. Like there's going to be other combination of guys that they're going to run this with. But the best, the bread and butter, the best case that they have is Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy. Now, when you're talking half-court offense, they have other options. Obviously, they're going to run some of that high-low action that they've done in the past, I think, with Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. That's going to be lethal. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the next question, actually. But we're also going to see some of the motion offense at the top where they just have a lot of guards running off screens. I think that Drew Timmy will be involved in that heavily, and I do think we will see them run that package that will also include Andrew Nembhard and Drew Timmy. But Overall, I do think this is the bread and butter. Like I said, I think this is going to be the, the package that Gonzaga wants to run the most because it's their best passer getting the ball to their best score. Stockton and Malone. It's what made them so good is they're the best pass, passer in NBA history, one of the best scorers in NBA history. Sure, they had other players, and those other players were good, and they scored a lot of points sometimes, but when that's what you have on your team, just run that. And while this team has other phenomenal players, Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy should be a focal point in that offense, and this pick-and-roll The pick and roll has been hard to defend for 40 years. Nobody's figured out a super great way to defend it, and nobody's going to figure it out this year, especially not trying to go against these two guys. All right, next question. I kind of teased what this one's about a little bit. It's from Jim at Blazer1313 on Twitter who asks, Gonzaga Biggs are famous for running a high-low post play. Do you see this being a staple for Timmy and Holmgren? I 
absolutely do. I've talked about this a few times. I talked about it in the Drew Timmy player preview. I talked about it in the Anton Watson player preview. I think this is going to be a big, big part of the offense. And they kind of went away from it a little bit the last few years, I think in part because of personnel. I don't, I don't know that they liked Anton Watson in that role all that much because he hadn't developed much of an outside shot. He's an okay passer. I think he was capable of making that entry pass, but they were finding other more creative ways to get the ball to Drew Timmy in the paint. And because Drew Timmy's so strong, so physical, it all, it wasn't that hard to get him the ball in the paint. Like in the past, they wanted to run this high-low action because it was an easier way to get the ball to the post player in a position where they could score. With Drew Timmy, he's just really good at getting positions, so you almost don't need to do it all that often. But the personnel they have now with Chet and Drew is so lethal. Like, I, I have a hard time imagining them not running this package a fair amount. You imagine getting the ball to Chet at the top of the key. Defenders cannot sag off him. Every indication we have about Chet Holmgren is that if the, if the defender gives him room, he's just going to knock that shot down all the time. Whether he's all the way out at the three-point line or just inside at the free-throw line, if defenders let him shoot that, he's going to shoot it. And I hope that Mark Few and the staff tell him, yes, shoot that ball every time. If you're open, shoot it. Shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, because he's a good enough shooter that he's going to knock that thing down. So that forces defenders to come out on him, which gives Drew all of the room in the world to to get position. You'll have your other guards will be spaced out around the perimeter. Chet's the top of the key. Defender's in his grill, and Drew's just down there one-on-one establishing position. And because it's at the top of the key, he can establish on either block. He can establish right in the middle. It, it works so smoothly. And obviously, if he struggles to get position and Chet is heavily guarded, they can run some of those durable handoffs at the top of the key, having Nemhard or Bolton or Hickman or whomever coming off a screen. And then from there, Chet hands the ball off. Chet rolls to the basket. Drew clears out of the way. You got yourself a pick and roll with an elite finisher at the rim. It's, it's really going to be difficult for teams to stop this at all. There are basically every play in the playbook Gonzaga can run, and it's going to be hard to stop because of how talented Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, Andrew Nemhard, so on and so forth are. But this high-low offense, allowing Chet the ability to make the decision of, do I want to make an entry pass to Drew Timmy, one of the best finishers on the planet? Do I want to shoot a jump shot? Do I want to take my guy off the dribble, which they'll have to work on spacing in that regard. If Chet puts the ball on the ground, Drew needs to get out of the way. But again, that's that's a structured part of the play <laughs> is that they do that. If the, if the guy comes over to double after Drew clears out of the way, Chet makes that pass to Drew. It's an easy dunk. And we've seen that. Shemek Karnowski was extremely good at that. DeMontis Sabonis was extremely good at that. So I think that'll be a part of the offense for sure. I think Gonzaga, like I said, we've seen it. They did it a ton with Killian Tilly. They did it a ton with Elias Harris. They did a ton with Kyle Wiltshire. They've done it pretty much throughout the history of at least the time that I've been watching Gonzaga. This has been a part of the offense. Until recently, they kind of went away from it a little bit, but I think it's going to be back. I think Chet is more skilled and more unique in his ability to succeed in this role than any player they've had before. And this is without any disrespect to Killian or Elias or Kyle Wilcher or any of those guys. They're all very immensely talented in their own right. But this team is built to run this offense, and I think it's going to be massively successful this year. All right, that's a wrap on our first segment. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions all episode long. But first, I want to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major players as well. I know that's appealing for you Gonzaga fans out there. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. 
PrizePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your app store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. All right. Segment two coming at you in the first segment. We talked all about what plays, what offensive sets Gonzaga might run. Here in the second segment, we're answering more listener-submitted questions. This first one comes from Josh B. Vaxed at Josh Edits on Twitter, who asks, Which Zag will be the most pleasant surprise? Hickman? Bolton? Andrew hitting 40% from three? Yeah, so first of all, Nemhard shooting 40% from three would be an extremely welcome surprise. I talked about that in my player preview episode about Nemhard, that I think we'll see an uptick in that three-point shooting. 40% would be fantastic. That would be on the high end of possible outcomes for him. It would be definitely a surprise. I do think we'll see him improve in that regard, although I don't know if he's going to get all the way up to that 40% mark. Uh, this question is, it's good, it gets asked a lot. It's a good question. Obviously, you always want to find out which players might be the under-the-radar surprise candidates. One of the difficult things about answering this question for me is the Gonzaga community at large is very plugged into their team, very in tune with who's going to be the next guy. And so you just don't see that many surprises. I think there are there are players that are going to surprise a, a more general audience, people who don't follow this team as closely or just who, who follow college basketball but don't necessarily follow Gonzaga. There are plenty of players who fall into the category of, hey, where did that guy come from? They got another guy. How did this happen? But for this team, for the fan base, I don't think there are that many players who surprise them. I think about like, so many people were ready for Joel Eiei to have his breakout that when he had his breakout, he didn't feel like it was this big shock to a lot of people. Rui Hachimura, everybody knew he was going to be good. We knew he was going to be good. We knew it was going to take some time. And then when it took some time and then he got good, it, it just didn't feel like this big surprise to a lot of people. Those are just two of, of many examples. This is a compliment to the fan base, obviously, but it makes it a little trickier to answer this question for a listener base that is predominantly expecting everybody on this team to be good. So I'll answer it in two ways. The first answer will be that kind of national surprise player. For me, that's Julian Strother. Julian Strother was not a top 30 prospect. He was not even, by most accounts, a top 50 prospect. So he looks like a guy who, yeah, he was top 60, top 70. He scored a bunch of points in, you know, in a high school in Las Vegas. He got some notoriety. It's not like he's completely unknown, particularly among people who follow college basketball pretty closely. But he didn't play very much last year, hardly at all. He averaged like three points per game, six or seven minutes per night. He was not a rotation player by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't think there's a lot of people, except for people plugged into the program, who are expecting him to be to have the role that I expect him to have. I've said this on this podcast virtually every episode. I'll say it again. I think he's going to start this year. I think he's going to be the starting three. Even if he doesn't start, I think he's going to play a lot of minutes, 18 to 20 minutes per night, maybe more, at least that. And he's going to score a lot of points, 10, 12 points per game. He's going to have some 20 plus point nights. Like I think he's going to be really, really good. He can score at all three levels. He's got a ton of bounce. He's a good outside shooter. He's creative. He's, he's going to be really good. And I think that there's a lot of people in the Gonzaga community who expect that, who believe that already. And so they're not going to be surprised by his performance. But there are other people, even people who follow college basketball very closely and even more casual Gonzaga fans who are going to be like, wow, I didn't, I barely remember this guy was on the team kind of thing. And then other fans who are like, I don't know who the heck this guy is. Is he a transfer? Is he a new freshman? It's like, no, he's a sophomore. He was a top 
65 guy last year, but now look at him. And I think that's what Gonzaga is so good at is they develop players, not just the top 10 recruits, which they're very good at doing too, obviously with Jalen Suggs and they will be with Chet Holmgren, but they develop guys who are outside that range as well. And they put them on their own timelines. For Julian, I believe it's a two-year timeline. And I believe this is the year we're going to see him have a lot of success. And I think it's going to surprise a lot of people, although not a lot of people well within the Gonzaga community. If we're talking about that community, particularly the people who do follow this team really closely, who ask Mailbag Monday questions, for example, and who really kind of dissect the potential lineups, I think maybe the biggest surprise player might be Ben Gregg. And I think a lot of people do think he's going to be good, but there's a lot of focus on Caden Perry. There's a lot of talk about Anton Watson having a big year, and both those things could totally happen. But there's there's only so many spots for big man rotation minutes. And I have a feeling that Ben Gregg is going to get more minutes and have a more, more of an impact than I think even some of the diehard Gonzaga fans think. And that's maybe just my preference. I, I really believe that that half year of experience he got last year gives him a pretty significant leg up over Caden Perry in terms of minutes, not just because Caden hasn't played college basketball before, but because he didn't play a lot of high school basketball last year. He had that pretty significant back injury, took him out. I think he only played five games last year for Battleground. So he's. I think he's going to be a big a part of the mix for sure, but I think Ben Gregg's going to take a lot of those minutes early, and I think there's a good chance he doesn't give him back. I think we're looking at a guy who could play 12 to 15 minutes per night, contribute six or seven points, hit a bunch of back-breaking threes, really do a lot of things that people aren't expecting him to do, even among this community. And I'm, I'm all for it. I'm really excited about Ben Gregg. I think he's going to be a huge piece of this team, not this upcoming season, but the year after that, when Drew and Chet are both dominating in the NBA. Ben Gregg, Caden Perry, those are the, that's the future of the front court for this program. And I think Ben's going to be a huge part of it. Not just this, not just two years from now, but I think he's going to be a big part of it this upcoming season as well. All right, next question comes from Dad Risk at Dad Risk on Twitter, who asks: Is there any possible world where the Anton lineups, Anton and Timmy, and Anton and Chet, are better than the Timmy Chet lineup? Anton allows Timmy more positional comfort on defense, and Chet more room to show his full skill set on offense. Also, Anton plus Chet on D, good luck scoring. So yeah, the short answer to this question is no. Um, the difference offensively between Chet and Anton is massive. I mean, it's very massive. And I, I want to be clear here. I Again, another thing I've said quite frequently, I'm a big Anton truther. I've been an Anton truther since his freshman year. Like, I've, I've been in on this guy for a long time. And I defended him last year when he had some of those surprisingly inefficient games where he didn't seem to do anything. And I think he's in line for a pretty big year. And I think he's a very valuable piece to this team because of his defensive versatility, because he has some sneaky offensive skill sets. There's a lot of reasons to really like Anton Watson. And I am in on all of them. But he's not... There's no way he fits into a lineup better than Timmy and Chet together because those two players are so good. Talent wins out. Those two guys are just flat out more talented. Yes, I understand some of what you're saying. I do agree that Timmy is more comfortable playing defense around the rim. He's more comfortable as a rim protector than he is playing defense away from the rim. And the concern about a Chet-Timmy defensive lineup where Chet is the rim protector because he's going to be really, really good at being a rim protector, forces Timmy to have to play away from the ball. I understand that being a concern. I've talked about it on the show, and it is legitimate. But they're still better that way. Like, Timmy being Timmy being more comfortable as a rim protector is good, but Chet is a better rim protector. So while Anton is obviously a better perimeter defensive player than Drew, the difference is that the offense is so much better when it's both Chet and Timmy so much better like they're they're they are capable of doing so many different things on offense that while defensively you could maybe make an argument 
that Anton playing the perimeter and Drew playing under the basket is a better defensive set than Chet playing under the basket and Drew playing around around the perimeter? I don't even know if it is. I don't even know if the Anton-Drew defensive lineup is better than with Chet on the floor, but I know that the offensive situation with Chet and Drew together is better. So for me, that makes it better. The other direction, yes, Anton and Chet defensively is awesome. I mean, awesome. They're going to be so good because he's a, Anton's a great perimeter defensive player. He's a great half court trapper. He's really just tenacious on defense and Chet will clean up any mistakes that anybody makes. If there's, if players get around their guys, if they're too aggressive and they get backdoor cuts, Chet's there to protect the rim and he's going to be really good at that. But that lineup is a little bit more lacking offensively. Yes, it allows Chet to play more back to the basket, get under the paint, which I think he's going to be good at, but he's not as good at Drew, as Drew Timmy at that. He's just not as good at that. And while he's good away from the basket, can shoot threes or whatever, Anton, yes, I think he can play under the basket, and he can he has a little bit of a post game more than I think people think that he does. But again, he's not better than Drew Timmy at it. Drew's an automatic bucket under the basket. He's at least going to get fouled. And so while Drew out of the game makes Gonzaga better defensively, it makes them significantly worse offensively. I also want to be clear. I don't think that the Anton Chet lineup is bad, nor do I think the Anton Drew lineup is bad. I think that we will see a lot of both of those lineups. We may even see all three of these guys in the game at the same time. And when it's Anton and Chet, they're going to be good. Anton can still do enough offensively and the, the versatility that they have where Anton can play both away from the ball and under the basket and Chet can play both away from the ball and under the basket. That makes them really good and makes them really difficult to defend. They're just not better than they are if Drew Timmy's on the court in place because he's just so good and he's just such a good scorer. So I like the I like the flexibility Gonzaga has. They're going to do a lot of different stuff. I think we'll probably see some lineups where we have Anton, Chet, and Drew in the game at the same time. We may not do that a lot, and it may depend on how Anton's outside shooting develops, but I think we'll see it periodically. But the overall answer to the question, no. I don't think there's really any situation where having Anton in the game in place of either Chet or Drew makes Gonzaga better. It just doesn't. It, Anton is is so far behind those guys offensively that his defensive versatility and defensive makeup and the flexibility it offers Gonzaga with that lineup doesn't make up for the overall offensive ability that Chet and Drew each have. All right, two segments down, one more coming up. We got two more questions that we're going to answer. Listener submitted questions like we do every Monday. If you want to get involved, like I said at the beginning of the episode, reach out to me whenever you want. It helps if you tag at Mailbag Monday. Let me know. I love to answer questions. I love Mailbag Monday. It's one of my favorite episodes every single week. So please get those questions in. Before we get to those final questions of the episode, though, I'm going to tell you about today's sponsor, Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilt Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, Mailbag Monday trucks on. We've answered multiple questions about Gonzaga's offensive sets, about Anton Watson and Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren and how they all fit together. Tons of fun stuff for today. 
third segment, we're switching gears a little bit. These two questions are both about Prozags, which is obviously a topic I love to talk about. This first question comes from JC at Lothar King on Twitter, who asks, scale of zero to 100, how bad is it that Sloot's jersey isn't already hanging from the rafters at GU? I am very glad that you asked this question, JC, because I have a couple of different thoughts on it. One, in case you missed it, Gonzaga fans out there, I know not everybody is plugged into the WNBA, but you should be. You should absolutely be for so many reasons. It's incredible basketball. But beyond that, Courtney Vandersloot is one of the greatest players in WNBA history. She's one of the best players currently in the league. And as of this afternoon on Sunday when I'm recording this, she's a WNBA champion. The Chicago Sky, the sixth seed in the playoffs, came all the way back and won the WNBA championship against the Phoenix Mercury. It was an incredible series. All of the games were so much fun to watch. I didn't watch every single one of them. I watched highlights of the ones that I missed. It was an absolute blast. Really fun game. Courtney looked incredible. Now, to get to your question about the rafters, this has been talked about a lot. Courtney Vandersloot's jersey is not hanging in the kennel. It is allegedly still allowed to be worn, although that's what we're going to talk about here. The reason that this hasn't happened, I heard this from Brenna Green at Krem. She tweeted about it, I think, about two weeks ago, is that Courtney always plays overseas during the women's basketball season. Now, this is really common for almost all WNBA players. They make more money. It's more lucrative to play overseas basketball over the winter and then play in the WNBA, which plays over the summer. It plays like June to August or whatever. Think about that for a second. Before we get into the rest of this, Courtney Vandersloot is like, I mean, for lack of a better comparison, is pretty much the John Stockton of the WNBA. She's one of the best passers and one of the best at steals in the league's history. She's phenomenal at it. She's probably not quite on Stockton's level, but she's a multiple-time All-Star, has broken multiple WNBA records, is very, very elite. And in order to supplement her income, she finishes her season and goes overseas and plays in Europe, which is what a lot of men's basketball players do as their sole income, obviously. It is crazy that high-level women's basketball players. It's crazy that any professional women's basketball player has to play overseas in order to make enough money, but it's crazy that somebody as good as Courtney Vandersloot has to do so. Regardless of how you feel about that, the Zags have not retired Courtney's jersey and hung it up in the rafters because they want her to be there for the ceremony. And she's always been playing overseas, and so she hasn't had the opportunity to be in the building. For my money, it is not worth retiring Courtney's jersey and having a ceremony if she can't be there at all. Zero percent worth it. Now, the other part of this is that since Courtney left, her jersey number, 21, which is what she wore at Gonzaga, has not been worn by any women's basketball player since then. So it is what is called soft retired. This is not that uncommon. They did this with John Stockton when they retired his jersey way back when. They did not do it with Adam Morrison, which was a little confusing why there were a lot of people who wore the jersey number three after Morrison left before they retired it. I thought that was a little bit strange. I remember seeing Kyle Dran Guinness wear it, and no disrespect to him, but I was like, why Why is he wearing number three? Like, why Why are we allowing players to do that? For the women's side, they have not had anybody wear number 21 since Sloot left. They apparently have every intention of retiring her jersey when the time is right, but they have not done it yet because she's been playing overseas. I have no idea if going all the way to a WNBA Finals, the farthest, the longest her WNBA season has ever gone, if that will influence her decision to play overseas or not. I do not have any information on that. Assuming she does not play overseas, I would think that they would get this stuff done as soon as possible, 
doing it right after she wins a WME championship would be an incredibly cool honor for her. It would be incredibly cool for younger Gonzaga fans to learn more about her, who she was, what kind of player she was at Gonzaga, and obviously what kind of player she is now. Like, I think it, it absolutely needs to happen. And it is a bummer that it has not happened. But it's not something that we can really criticize Gonzaga for because I think all the decisions that they have made about this are correct. They should not retire her jersey or have the ceremony, at least, without her present. But they should not let anybody else wear number 21. And they are doing both of those things. So in my mind, we're good. I guess to answer the question, scale of 0 to 100, like a, like a 2 or a 3, <laughs> because I don't think that there are decisions they should have made differently. They, there's not. They, they, having the ceremony without her there would be a crime. That would be, that would not be allowed. They should not do that. So I think that they're waiting. Now, if she spends an off-season home and they don't do it, or they don't make any plans to do it, or they start letting people wear 21, then we're going to be all the way up in the 90s. We're going to be very upset about that. But for right now, because of the circumstances, because of the way Gonzaga's handled it, it's not something that's concerning to me at all. All right, final question of the show is Daniel via Gmail who asks, I saw a report that Rui is back with the Wizards. Any word on what his absence was about and what kind of season do you expect from him this year? So yeah, for those who missed this, Rui uh, left the team right around the start of preseason. He left the Wizards. Uh, It was reported that it was for mental health reasons, effectively. I don't remember the exact wording that they used, but there was not a lot of detail on that, and there shouldn't be. We, We do not have the right to know what is going on with Rui, what personal matters he was attending to, it's it's not up to us, you know, and it's obviously a touchy topic. And I know the people who are asking are, are hoping just for him to be OK. And I am, too. Rui has faced an incredible amount of pressure in his life. I can't imagine, you know, being a good ba- he's a good high school basketball player. You know, he was well known in Japan for being a good high school basketball player. He comes to Gonzaga. He's relatively unknown for two years. And in the span of like a two, two or three year period, he has this explosive junior year at Gonzaga. He becomes a lottery pick in the NBA, and then he's holding Japan's flag at the U.S. or at the Olympics in Tokyo. Like the amount of pressure that you feel from going from an unknown sophomore in college to that is immense, it, more than I can possibly comprehend. And so, you know, now he's in his third NBA season. He's, you know, he's made 105 starts in the NBA. He's only ever been a starter. He's a, a pillar for this Washington program. He's an Olympian. I just think that it probably really got to him. And again, I don't want to speculate. It could be something totally unrelated to this. It could be a family matter. It could be who, who knows exactly. But Rui has, has dealt with a ton. I mean, the dude's not 23 yet. He is 22. So he's back now, though. He went through health and safety protocols as the most recent update. So he is expecting to join the team soon. I do not know how, you know, if his basketball shape is fully 100% or not. So I don't know exactly what the plan is there. But if we're assuming that he's ready to go, I think he's going to have a great year. I think he's going to be really, really good this season for the Wizards. We're talking about a guy who, again, 105 starts. He's started every single game that he's played in the NBA. So there's no reason to not expect him to be a starter again this year. And even though Washington added plenty of depth in that area, they added Montrez Harrell, they added Kyle Kuzma, obviously both from the Lakers and the Russell Westbrook trade. They still have Davis Bertans. I think Rui's the guy. I think he's going to be. He's going to play a lot of minutes. I think we're talking about a guy who's he's averaged about 13 points per game his first two years. I think we're going to see him be up 16, 17 points per game range. The biggest thing I'm looking for for Rui this year improved three point shot. If he he went from 28 percent as a freshman to 30 freshman as a rookie to 32 percent last year, if he can get up around league average, which is about 37 percent, if Rui shoots 37 percent from three. I mean, there's your you bake in the extra points. He's 17 points per game right there. He becomes more difficult to 
defend. Defenders have to come out on him. He can take more guys off the dribble. That allows for more lay-ins, more opportunities to get fouled and get to the free throw line. Obviously, he needs to improve defensively as well. That's still an area that hasn't been great for him. He struggled there at Gonzaga. He struggled in the NBA at that spot. That's why he's kind of playing that small ball four role as opposed to playing a three because perimeter defense is not really a huge part of his game. If he can improve there, improve his three-point shot, he's going to be really good. I don't know that this is the all-star Rui yet. I do think there is a version of Rui that is an all-star. I think it's very likely that that happens for him in the next couple of years. I don't know if we get there this year. Obviously, the year might get off to a bit of a difficult start just because he missed the preseason. He's dealing with some other stuff, but this is going to be a great year for Rui. Uh, I think every year going forward, he's gonna, we're going to see him get better and better and better and improve in those areas of his game that he needs to improve upon. And if he does that, which there's no reason for me to think that he won't, he's going to be extraordinarily good. I'm pumped to see him this year. Obviously, alongside Corey Kispert and as of very recently, alongside Joel Eyei, he just signed a two-way contract with the Wizards. Washington now joins Memphis, or at least Memphis briefly, in having three Zags on the roster. I'm pumped about it. It's going to be a really fun year. This actually leads perfectly into the end of the episode because my next episode after this is going to be a Zags in the NBA comprehensive preview. We're talking everybody. We're talking Jalen Suggs, his fit in Orlando. We're talking Kelly Olynyk over in Detroit. And we're talking about some of the fringier guys like Joel, who just signed that two-way contract with Washington. We'll talk about the odds of a guy like Zach Norvell getting back into the NBA this year. All sorts of stuff. It's going to be a super fun episode. I'm super excited about it. After that, we got more player previews. We're not quite done with them yet. We got more guys to talk about. Going to be a super fun week coming up at Locked On Zags, which is available wherever you get your podcasts and soon to be available on YouTube. Another reminder, podcast links will be available on Twitter at Locked On Zags and on my own Twitter account, which you can be found at ScoreZagScore if you do not follow me already. Finally, Thank you again for making this episode your first listen of the day. It's a great time to make your next listen of the day, the Locked On NBA podcast. You can get all your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.